to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the CEO and co-founder of Necessaire, Randy Christensen. Randy Christensen has always been interested in the intersection of business and beauty. Having studied business at university and taking a particular interest in entrepreneurship and small business growth, Randy found herself in a role at Estee Lauder Companies, where she would remain for the next 15 years. Despite being a major multinational, Randy was able to bring her passion for small business to the company, working primarily across the Le Maire and Tom Ford brands. While these are both household names today, When Randy commenced work on them, they were both very much in their infancy, so she was able to combine her startup mindset with the resources of a multinational business. It was during her time at Estee that Randy met and began working with beauty journalist Nick Axelrod, and over cheap beers at an airport, the two began to brainstorm a business idea on a paper napkin. They wanted to bring a facial skincare ethos to the body care market, the latter market being around one-fifth of the size of the former. But they didn't just want to create a brand for the sake of it. They only wanted to create what felt crucial, essential and necessary. And so Necessaire was born. Having launched at the very end of 2018 and being certified climate neutral since January of 2019, Necessaire is now a true global brand and, as of May 24, is finally available in Australia at Mecca. In this conversation, Randy shares the unexpected benefits of bringing on investors when developing a brand why she thinks having a journalist on board is essential in launching a successful business and the importance of having a truly clear brand DNA. So Randy, you are Scandinavian, originally from Denmark, so I would love to begin right there. What is your very earliest memory of beauty? Um, you know, my very first memory of beauty was, was, um, probably making perfumes actually out of plants and water. Uh, when I was a kid, um, I think I've always been a little bit of an entrepreneur and having had the entrepreneurial spirit and my, my grandmother taught me to, to, you know, press flowers and take the dry flowers and put them into the water and, let it sit in the water. And then I would go out and try to sell those little God knows what bottles of glass with water in them. Um, so I think I was really young, Gemma, when I, when I sort of got into it. Um, but other than that, I'm, I'm a very much a typical Scandinavian girl in that less is more. So you obviously had an early affinity for beauty, perhaps fragrance more specifically, but what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, when I was a kiddo, I was one of those kids that played tennis, you know, every single day. And I want to be super honest with you. I I really didn't think that, you know, I wasn't one of those girls that's like, when I grow up, I want to be in the beauty industry. Um, But I think if you really ask me going back in time, what did I want to do? I think I wanted to do uh, a work in something that was linked to nature. I think Mm -hmm. that's definitely a a sort of a factual thing. And I also loved making things and selling things and, um, and sort of, sort of the the merger or somewhere in the merger between business and beauty. But I was not, I was not sort of one of those kids that's like, I want to be a lawyer. You know, I, I didn't have, I didn't have that sort of clear path. Um, I just knew I wanted to be in business. I knew I wanted to be close to nature. Um, And I sort of just went for it. And here you are. I know. (laughs) I read that you studied business at the Copenhagen Business School. Where did you think that those studies would take you? Was it specifically the business of beauty that you were interested in or just business as more of a a theme? Yeah. So, you know, it's such a great question. I, I studied at Copenhagen Business School and as part of that, you know, in Scandinavia, we, 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 we have to write this master thesis at the end before we graduate with our, with our degrees. And, 
And um, at the time, Copenhagen Business School was was working with the University of Texas. Um, and I studied entrepreneurship and my thesis was on uh, was on, was within that field. And I came to the U.S. I'd been here before playing tennis when I was a kiddo, but I came to the U.S. to do a, to do a semester at the University of Texas. And I, I met some of my dearest friends, um, some of whom ended up working at Estee Lauder. And that, that became like, hey, come and see me in New York. And little did I know that that turned into six interviews and a 15 year long career at the Estee Lauder companies. But it was really about, about relationships. Um, but my master was in entrepreneurship in business. Uh, it was about, um, you know, small business growth. And I would say most, most all my years at Estee Lauder, I, I was with brands that started out small. Uh, I started with La Mer when it was a small little brand. Um, I was on the Tom Ford for Estee Lauder when nearly before there was a brand. So I, I've always sort of loved the, the entrepreneurial journey. Um, and so I think if you ask me, what did I think? I think I wanted to do something with small businesses. Let's talk more about those 15 years at Estee yeah. Lauder. As you can imagine, I've got a few questions about this time. Yeah. Having spent, of course, spending time in both Europe and the US, what were some of the differences that you noticed upon moving between European and American approaches to beauty? You know, so I'll tell you, I um, I went to business school in, in, in Scandinavia, but I started my career in the US. Yeah. Um, so I actually began, like, my very first job out of business school was in New York City uh, at the headquarters of, of, of Estee Lauder. So I, I never had the privilege to, to work in the, in the um, Copenhagen office of Estee Lauder. But I did get to travel with Estee Lauder for many years, launching La Mer in, in, in a couple of places. And I, um, you know, I think that there is a thousand differences. Um, and I think that there are, there are, if we look all over the world, there are many, many cultural differences, right? We can all fall in, in love with a brand and we can all fall in love with a product, but there are, there are things that our backgrounds and our culture that sort of nuance maybe what we love and what we like and what we use and how we sort of approach beauty. Um, so as an example, being Scandinavian versus maybe uh, Korean, um, we can have completely different, you know, point of views. And like, I grew up, grew up with the cleanser being water, like, you know, splash of water and some good hydration and, and sort of this very simple steps, uh, these simple steps in skincare. Um, whereas in other cultures, it can be way deeper and, and the rituals that's carried through are, are, are very different. So I think the appreciation for beauty is maybe the same. But the way we approach it, the way we use it is is vastly different. Hmm. Back to Estee Lauder companies. Yeah. So you're there for 15 years. You held a number of different roles that I do want to talk more about. Yeah. What were some of those roles? What did you love the most and what did you find to be the most challenging? Ah, oh, that's such a good question. You know, the first thing I want to say is I can't tell you how thankful I am for my years there. Um I really feel looking back, I, I landed there as I shared sort of, you know, through relationships from business school, but I, I just loved my time there. I thought it was an extraordinary company with extraordinary people. Um, I, um, I think I was blessed there in that, and I think many people are blessed at Estee Lauder in that you get to sort of you, 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 you get to be within one company, but you can have many sort of micro careers within your time at that company. And so I wouldn't maybe call it a challenge. Maybe what we can talk about is what I love the most. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I, I really loved my years at La Mer. And I think I probably loved the, the early years the, the most when we were sort of this is an exaggeration, but let's just say four kids sitting in a corner figuring out what are we going to do with this magic jar of, of cream and how are we going to get it all over the world and, and, and get folks to fall in love with it. Um, it was really early. Um, and then, you know, later on, the, 
that brand in particular was was a really big brand, well-respected brand in many, 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 many countries. Um, I loved the startup phase of things. I love the early years of things. I love building things. I love a white piece of paper. Um, I love the complexity that comes with that. It's also hard, but I, I do, if I really think about it, I find reward in that. I often think the things that are the hardest are the most rewarding. Um, so when I look back at my career, I would say, I love that. Um, I think, you know, what's the most challenging? You know, I think Lauder did such a remarkable job at, at sort of moving you through a career, right? Where they're like, okay, you've kind of matured here and, and now we're gonna sort of give you this next opportunity or this next chapter. And so I think that there is this thing about journeying through your career where there are moments of, of, of difficulties and then you sort of plateau and you are or maybe not plateau, but you mature into the role and it's insanely comfortable. And that's when you kind of have to move on. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because if you're not living on the edge, right, you're not, you know, you're taking up too much room, as they mm-hmm. say. That's a good old saying, but it is, it is true. And I feel like that company just really sort of helped me in that. I had some remarkable mentors, remarkable folks along the way that was like, ran, you know, you got to you know, you've mastered this, it's time to move on or, or, or sort of jump on. So I, I don't see it, Gemma, as challenges. I see it as moments of maturity. You know what I mean? Where it's mm. like, okay, we're going to sort of grow and expand you a little bit further. We'll push you into a new challenge. Those moments, the beginnings of the challenges are like, rah, they are rush, but they're also maybe the hardest, right? Because you're not comfortable. You're on the edge. That's sort of where the magic happens, though, isn't it? As soon as you kind of step outside of the comfort zone, that's where the good stuff comes from. Yeah, 100%. And it's when you grow and learn and you sort of stretch yourself. And what I feel when I look back, I I learned a lot of phenomenal business principles at Lauders. I learned, you know, Leonard himself, you know, had – you know, these amazing classes, Gemma, where we would sort of learn about, you know, his journey and and he would give us his life lessons. Um, And I was blessed enough to participate in one of those. And I think the company really does embody integrity. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that is, that is something for sure. I feel I, I, I try my very best to, to carry forward. I'm glad that you mentioned Le Maire because that's certainly what stood out to me when I was reading about those 15 years. That was the yes. early aughts that you started there. And as you've mentioned, you were there for a really huge growth period. Yeah. I would love to hear a little bit more about that time because really it grew from what you've said, essentially a startup despite being part of Lauder and then it's, it's now a, a literal household name. I would love to hear more about that time because there's, of course, a lot of, you know, consumer education that has to come with elevating a brand like that. Yes. Yeah, so the first thing I want to say is that the, the purity, well, two things. I was with La Mer and I was with La Mer in sort of two stents. And I also had the, the pleasure of being on the flagship you know, as the lot of brand for a minute, but Le Maire was the vast majority of my career. If you look, it's like, you know, nine, mm. 10 years or so, right? So it's a, it's a big chunk of it. Um, I, I think, um, you know what I learned from that experience, A, is that when the fundamentals of a brand is intact, right, the, the, the sort of solidity of what it is at its core, um, a brand can survive most all times and can propel into phenomenal things. And I think that of Le Maire, right? Number one, it's, it's a, it truly is a remarkable product that delivers real results in the world of skincare. Um, and I think what we knew right away was just that simple fact is that it was, it was just a real thing, you know? And uh, that's something I carry with me. I'm sure Maureen will wink now, but we talk about that all the time at Necessary. You know, how do we create truth uh, to what a product can do um, and around it? Um, I think that product 
embodied that. And it was a real special product developed by a gentleman that, you know, had a real need. Um, and, and then he passed and, and his daughter knew Leonard and she was kind of like, help me, you know, help me, help me with this journey of the brand. And the journey of the brand is, is, is another thing about that brand is that there was different leaders over the years at Lauder and everyone it's a, you know, carrying a brand forward is, is a, is a, a, a journey and B it's a, it, it requires stewards, but most of all, it requires a lot of love and effort and a lot of people. Um, and it's one of the things I think about with necessary today a lot. It's like, you know, it really does take a village. It takes a lot of people. It takes, you know, uh, the client. It takes retailers like Mega. It takes people like you, right? That, that just tell, helps propel a story and, and, and shed light to it. I think that's the story of La Mer a remarkable product, people that truly loved it, people that truly saw results. And then this sort of innate ability to expand upon that story again and again, and in new ways and in new markets. And back to what you asked me earlier, are people different? They are different. So understanding that you might have a global brand, but you need to be locally relevant for that brand to, to, to really sort of grab hearts, whether you're in Iceland or you are in Japan, is is I think a real magical skill set that sits in that brand. I think what you've said there as well, it's so true across brands of just about any size, whether it's a multinational or whether it's, you know, a local startup. We've had founders that you know encompass all of those different brands on the show and they have all said the same thing the brands that that succeed sorry have that dna in place from the get-go and they're not bowing to trends as the years go on they have the dna and once that's there it's it's kind of easy to stay relevant because that's just who you are yeah and i think you're not trying too hard Mm. you know and i like i like what you just said um it's also about having courage yeah. To be like, oh, there's, a, you know, there's a thousand no's for the one yes. But it's like, if everyone that works on your brand kind of, kind of rallies around and understands sort of, in, you know, understands to its purity what that brand is and what it's about and how it's expressed, um, then you can go really far. Mm-hmm. But there has to be something there first. Um, And I think for Necessaire, I think, you know, those of us that are here now, right, we're the founding team. We are crafting and creating and making sure that that the brand is edited down to its essential Mm -hmm. uh, and that it's really clear what it is. And that takes a minute too, right, Gemma? It's not like you know, you, 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 you sort of also create something. I think Nick and I often are like, well, we created this thing and you know, three years in here, we're like, wait, this name necessary. There's something here. This is this is way bigger than necessity toilet and a beautiful word. It's a filter and an essence and a lens and, a, and an approach. Um, that's the kind of stuff that makes brands great. La Mer has that. I hope we can build that for necessary. You know, we will. Let's talk necessary. I read that you and Nick, your now business partner, yeah. met in Los Angeles. Other yeah. than, as I've read, the fact that you were you and he were the only two people dressed in black. Other than that, <laughs> what okay. what was it about him that drew you to him? Oh gosh, oh, I wish he was here to hear this. Um, there's <laughs> a thousand things I love about Nick. Um, you know, Nick is sort of my ultimate sidekick. He's 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 good at all the things that that I'm not good at. Um, Nick and I met, um, I was still with Estee Lauder and I had now moved into uh, out to the West Coast and into, into a new role in my career. And, and Nick was coming out to the West Coast and, and we ultimately joined forces at Estee Lauder. So he joined Estee Lauder at some point. And we, we you know, he's just an entrepreneur at heart, I think. Um, and I had al- always sort of, you know, um, teased with the idea for many years I was the breadwinner in my family so I I couldn't go down that path and then one day my husband was like wait a minute Rand he's also an entrepreneur my husband is an insane entrepreneur so 
we're one of those families, wink, wink, Gemma, that's cashed out a 401k three times, right, <laughs> to, to, to build businesses. Um, but one day he came home and he was like, Ran, I think, you know, the business is, is sort of there that I can take care of insurance. And I was like, what? Um, and I remember Nick and I, not long after that, we were in Korea and I always laugh because we were drinking these really good cheap beers in the airport. And we just started to chat about, you know, ideas he had, ideas I had. And, and we were sort of like, well, wait a minute, one plus one equals three. How is, you know, we can make this, this bigger and greater. And, and we really, you know, sort of just enjoyed that. And that began sort of like late nights and weekends and martinis and you know, we have some of our old napkins where we scribble down things from the Sunset Tower, which is in um, in Hollywood. And we would go there because our office was very close to there. And and and, and I think we just sort of um, built that courage together. And you asked me, what do I love about him? I love I think Nick is 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 many, many things. But I think, number one, he has. He has a real keen understanding of relevance. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I always say is, I say, you know, you 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 know, good brand has to be able to create trust, but it also has to be relevant at any given point in time, right? So trust is, Gemma, what we spoke about a minute mm-hmm. ago, right? That DNA and the Christmas, and I think then there's sort of this bubble of energy and fun and. And relevance you create around it. And that's to me is like just Nick. Um, you know, he loves he, he loves that. He loves getting product in the hands of people. He loves an honest dialogue. Um, he, he, you know, he's a journalist. Um, and there is, Maureen knows this, because um, I love this very same trait in Maureen. There is nothing better than a journalist in the brand. There's nothing better. Um, so for all three of you, this is such a unique skill set because you ask the right questions. Nick is good at asking the right questions. And with the right questions comes, you know, a sharper focus on what matters, right? Um, mm. And then I love him. We just have a lot of fun together. We still, I mean, we chat all the time, right? And um, and he is, he is, he's a good person all around, Gemma. He's special. So I know that the brand came to be based on what was really a gap for a body care range that placed as great an emphasis on the skin on the body as we'd seen elsewhere with facial skincare. But how did that idea begin to ruminate? Had you and Nick already decided that you wanted to work on something together and then sat down and identified the gap or had you both independently noticed that gap and then happened to come together with the same sort of concept? How did it come to be? I think, you know, Danes like to be naked, right? We don't wear uh-huh. a lot of stuff, but we love being naked. And I think if, if we, we always shared the story sort of together, you know, I probably was very focused on body. You know, Nick was focused, I think, very much on, you know, something that, that felt genderless and that everybody mm-hmm. could belong to at this time. And 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 in many ways, what what joined us together is actually what's expressed in our name. I think we both were like, okay, so this category that we had been in, he from a editorial sort of storytelling point of view, and my from a from sort of a product point of view, was very much a sort of full of abundance, full of choice, in some ways nearly overwhelming. And we were like, wait a minute, what if we can create this destination of the necessary, this idea of less but better. And what if we can create sort of the, the, the Patagonia of beauty while doing that? Um, so that's where it started. And then, look, we had both moved to Los Angeles. As you shared earlier, we were both wearing black Rigoans and we were starting to drink the green matchas and paying $8 for every matcha. And we were both like, what? We're drinking all this matcha and then we're slobbing all this weird shit on our body. We were like, what if we go the opposite way of everybody else? What if we make body a first thought um, and we land on face? And it's just this idea of skincare for all of you. And I don't think you can take somebody that's been, you know, like me, that's been 15 years in, 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 on the business side and Nick that's been on the editorial side for so long. And you're like, you, you know, it's going to be about performance, right? It's mm-hmm. going to be about skincare that really works. 
And so we were like, yeah, you know, like these body products has been an afterthought. Let's, let's sort of strip them down and make them essential. And let's infuse them with the real skincare ingredients that we know to really work. And, you know, of course we recognize that the skin and the body may experience different concerns. Maybe it's post-shave, you, you know, symptoms, or maybe it's KP, the small bumps, or maybe mm. it's body acne, or maybe it's crappiness if you get a little older. But the tools um, that we have in our repertoire, the ingredients, they can help that we use in our face. They can actually help solve some of those unique body concerns. And we started to sort of brainstorm around that. Um, so it started with the idea of the necessary. And then we were like, this is such a gap. And everybody was like, are you crazy? You're going to start in body? We're like, yeah, we are crazy. Um, and I think you asked me, you know, that's what's so important about having somebody alongside you, right? Is that it's like, everyone thinks you're crazy. And then it's kind of like, no, we're not. No, we're not. Right. And we, you can sort of talk yourself out of that. And it begins with the two of you. And then honestly, today we are a team and I get to sit and have this, 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 this chat with you, but I, I really feel that necessary is, is not make and nice. I think it's this founding team that's there today. They're all creating this brand. Um, we began it, right? We put a, we put the first dot on a white piece of paper and they are sort of helping us draft that story. The body care market is reportedly less than one-fifth of the size of the global skincare market. This is probably a broad question, but why do you think it is that so many brands treat body care as a bit of an afterthought? I think it's because it's hard to make body care work from a, from a financial perspective. Mm-hmm. Um I think, you know, I always say large bottles, small prices, right? And, and so I think at the end of the day, when you start a business and you have to make it all work, um, it's, a, it's a hard place to lean in if you want to, you, you know, create incredibly efficacious, clean skincare and also do a lot of work like we wish to do for sort of addressing our environmental impact. I, I feel strongly um, that, you know, it's about difficulty, Gemma. Um, It's a hard place to start. Um, I think that's one. And then I also think like all things in beauty, if we think back and, and, you know, I've been speaking with, with many about this over the years, since the last three years we've been in business is like, everything has to start, you know, somewhere. Um, and if we think about how serum started in facial skincare or masks or how hair came, hair care came to be in, in sort of the prestige sector, you know, it, it, it took a moment to, to kick off. Um, so I think it's, it's an evolution. Uh, and I think it was not the DNA first place to start on one side from a business perspective. And then I think on the other side, it's just right? What's visible is oftentimes what we care about as, as, as people and humans. And we have a tendency to double down on, on, you know, our jeans and our sweaters and our facial skincare and our hair color, because these are the things that sort of makes us feel like we're, you know, representing um, the very best version of ourselves. And so what I believe so deeply is that what's starting to happen is we are understanding that all these other things, like what we what we enjoy to eat and what we put on our bodies, and all these things are, are are coming into focus because bringing your very best self forward is way more nuanced today, from all aspects of mental to emotional to physical sort of uh, areas and sort of health health is is in focus. Um, so it's becoming more nuanced, and that's making room for a body for for, for a body category. Um, so it's a little bit about time as well, and and where we all are as as people, and what we're ready to invest in. Mm. You launched Necessaire in 2018, having commenced work on it the year prior. What yes. can you tell me about that year? Because it's one thing to have the concept, but how did you? I mean, we know how you've come up with 
the the idea of the name, but how did you land on the name? How did you find a manufacturer? It's all of funding, develop packaging. There's so many steps that go into physically creating something. There's so many steps, and thank you for recognizing that. I think, um, I think we launched at the gosh, we launched at the very very end of of 2018. In fact, mm. I think if you had Nick and I here together, we would probably say, oh, we launched in 2019 because it was like the very end. Um, and so it took us a good, gosh, it took us a good year, I would say, to to concept it, and then it took us another you know, 18 months or so, maybe 12 months, 12 months or so, where we were 100% dedicated day in, day out on getting it from a sort of conceptual place and into something real and tangible um, that we could sell. And I do think um, there's a th- tons of little things in this story that just was, that that just sort of clicked. Um, and there was many, many people along the way that was like, you want to do this? Sounds a little bit crazy, but, you know, we're leaning in and and and, and we, we're going to support it. Um, and so I think that first started with, you know, a little bit of seed capital that we got from this most remarkable investor, um, Forerunner, and also Imaginary um, Forerunner is, is Kirsten Green and Nicole Johnson. And Imaginary is Natalie Massonet and Nick Brown and and also Kelly Dill. And I think, you know, when you when you first start a brand, you know, when you have a couple of people that are willing to say, look, this idea is is sort of crisp and different and it's a point of view and it's fresh. Um they, yes, they wrote us a little bit of what we what we today and all of us think about as seed money, but what they also did, they just helped us sort of commercialize the idea. All right, so, you know, where are you going to sell it? What's your distribution plan? What's your product roadmap? What's your pricing strategy? How are you going to make this work? Where are you going to office? I think inviting people into your journey and, and having that sort of humble um sort of approach to it and, and say, you know what, we do need help and we do need the right questions was really crucial for Nick and I. So I would say the journey began with a couple of of the right people believing in us. Um, and then I think some of the things that were probably, that we were probably blessed to have was, you know, we had some relationship in the, you know, in sort of the, the chemistry and the product development uh, area we we had um, we had you know some relationships here. There was you know one of our retail partners here in the United States today that I remember sending an email to that I had done business with prior, and I was like, hey, can can I ask you to to look at this? Does this does this look good? And and and, and uh, what do you think? And and we just think we we. We, we had a concept and we, we, we spent a lot of time perfecting it. And then we uh, iterated on it and we asked for input and we asked for help and we were open to the feedback. And so it evolved a little bit. Um, there were some things that never evolved, like this idea of the necessary, this idea of caring for your body and caring for your planet being equally important. But there was many other little things that evolved with the help of many people. Um, and so that... That, that's how I would say it, it came to be. We, we worked at a WeWork. We rented, you know, two, we had one of those open space places where we could go and be. And, and, um, and we were also very dedicated. I mean, I think we met every day. Um, we, we, we thought about it as a real job. Um, and if, if folks are thinking, ever thinking about starting a business, I think one of the great things about taking a little seed capital is that, you know, it's a responsibility too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, responsibility to create something and deliver and um, to move things forward. If research serves me, you launched with, I think, three body washes, a body lotion and a lube. How did you decide which specific products that you would launch with? So the honest truth about that is that I think we had also planned to launch a deodorant. Um, ah. I think, uh, and we were just not ready. 
Um, so I want to make sure I state that right off the bat. Mm-hmm. So anyone that ever thinks, oh, my God, you have it all mapped out, we definitely do not. Um, I think Nick and I had a product philosophy um, that was very important, right? And I think we, we, um, we like to say that I think we did so much research, Gemma. We would go in, and I remember us going into CVS, and it was like, whoa, loop is in like, you know, aisle 19 and washes are in aisle two and they might be next to lotion, but by the way, shave is somewhere else. And we don't really want to have a conversation about body and all the things that goes on our body and that we use for our body. And we were like, Hey, this can change, right? You know, we want, you know, lube should be so chic that it can stand on your bedside table. And we want somebody to photograph their, you know, bathroom. Um, let's, let's make that sort of a mission. Um, and we want people to come back and again and again and again, which means the product really has to work where, you know, we wanted that for ourselves. And I think, um, then how did it begin? Well, it started with this idea of the necessary. So the things that are, um, that are crucial. Uh, and I think we really have sort of stuck to that. That's mm. our promise. It's the core of our DNA. Um, and um, we, we wanted to start with a deodorant, a lotion, and a wash. And we succeeded with the lotion, the wash, and the lube. Um, and that became sort of what we had ready, and we went for it. And, and, um, and then the deodorant came not long after. So I guess that's, 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 sort, of, that's sort of the truth. We had, and we still have, a... Um, sort of very clear journey that we want to go on, which is we want to focus on body. We focused on it for a long time. We really wanted to lean into what we believed in could be a new category. And we wanted to pave the way for that category and then move to scalp and then move to face and go the opposite way. So we knew that. And then within that, I think we also just sort of were very clear on um, and this is something that's just really important to me is like this having this very clear point of view on how we delivering performance and value to a consumer and a client and a human and a person. And we think about efficacy. It has to work. That's first. We think about texture a lot, right? Like textorial performance, because you're putting this everywhere as so of the way it feels. Mm. We think about design. I always say, you know, this is sort of the aesthetic of something. This is like furniture for your bathroom. So we like to say, I'm looking at it. Um, the front is the front is for the vanity and the back is for your information, right? Um, and and then last but not least, we 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 developed everything first in in, in fragrance free um, because we wanted the product to be able to stand on it on its own, and then develop functional performance and scent by using real ingredients from nature. Um, so that's kind of how we approached, approached the product philosophy once we sort of knew where we wanted to start. I'm thrilled that you mentioned design because I did want to touch on this. It's a bit of a stereotype, but I imagine, you know, being Scandinavian aesthetics are probably pretty important to you did having quite a specific idea of how the range should look present any challenges throughout sort of the product development phase yes um (laughs) i can imagine a lot um so i think you know we've spoken a lot about caring for your body right And, and the other sort of major reason for me to to at least me personally to jump out and, and start a business and leave a place as you can tell that I love deeply mm. um, was, you know, I just felt this industry that we all call home, right? I was like, okay, how can we sort of break through and make noise and, and create the necessary, but how can we also so sort of do good? And so I think there is a lot of constraints that comes with, you know, being climate neutral from year one and using vegetable waste in your packaging and, you know, sourcing those materials, finding those materials, have a point of view on those materials, understanding that glass in some instances can be heavy and be 
bad for, for your climate neutral footprint footprint versus something that lighter that's lighter when you are that big really makes it complicated to be responsible and minimize your footprint. It makes it hard. I think it's going to be much easier when we do face one day with little jars, right? Um, but that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is sort of just having a completely fresh point of view in um, design and in graphics. And I think we very much knew, you know, um, I wanted the front to sort of be incredibly simple and then be the back, as I shared before, being incredibly informative. And for a consumer to pick up this object and be like, okay, I love having this standing out, but I also know exactly how to use it um, if I, for some reason, forgot. Um, and um, and so I think we, we, we found, Nick and I, gosh, we met with a bunch of sort of graphic studios and we found two that we really loved. Um, and none of them had worked in beauty before. Mm. And we were sort of like, we didn't want anything that looked like anything uh, that was in the marketplace. So we were like, and that's how we ended up. I mean, everybody's asked me, you know, why is the name right below the logo? And why is there no space? <laughs> and we sort of ended up with something that that just felt right to us. Um, and um, I think we went through 125 iterations um, of design before we, and before I chose this one. Um, and so you asked me, was it hard? It was incredibly hard. Mm. Uh, when I had my first kiddo, I went to, um, I, I took the time off I had from Lauder and I did a bunch of architecture classes and, and a certificate in architecture and for sure sort of that Scandinavian minimalistic thing you can probably sense, but it's also our name, Gemma, just this idea mm. of like, is this necessary on the pack? What's really value add? There's a bunch of legal stuff that has to be there, right? To sell at mega, yeah. go somewhere. But there is also like, well, is this necessary? And really getting crisp on back into that crispness around, you know, we're taking somebody's time. Are we, are we being respectful of that? Now, you mentioned being climate neutral. That's certified climate neutral since year one. That is another massive point of difference. This yeah. is another broad question, but can you share some of the sustainability practices and initiatives that Necessaire has in place? Yes. Uh, my gosh, how many hours do you have? I'm just joking. <laughs> I promise I'll try to make it fast because now you're tapping right into you're tapping right into it. You know, I want to be so humble um, or humble enough to share that this area of the business um, was part of the very first napkin we wrote together and, and, and sort of what, what, what carries my heartstrings all the time. But I will tell you what, there is not a month, week, day that I don't learn that there is, you know, of a mistake we've made on a wrong assumptions we've, we've sort of gone into this with. But I'm, I'm really proud of a couple of things. Um, I'll talk about those. Number one, we, you, you know, this idea of, of um, sustainability uh, was a word we used a tremendous amount when we first launched the brand. It was like everywhere or, you know, recycling matters or, you know, a more sustainable way or all these sort of ways we were throwing the words around. And last year, a couple of us in the business was like, no, no, you know, our dream has always been to become the Patagonia of beauty um, we, this needs to start very different. We're going to just remove the word sustainability from this brand. And instead, we're going to talk about responsibility. And we're mm -hmm. going to just be very clear and state that we do have a footprint. And our job is not to talk about pledges, but to share the facts around what our footprint is and what we're doing to minimize it as a team and as a company. And so we think about that in buckets. And the first bucket that's been with us from the beginning has been climate. Um, and um, we were an inaugural member of Climate Neutral back in 2019. That was their first year. And um, 
I've loved the work with them so much. They're two amazing guys that that started that. And today, many, many beauty brands are in there and many consumer good brands from all over the world are joining them. Um, but I believe that climate is, different people have different opinions, but I believe for sure climate is our number one environmental crisis. And so we sort of was like, okay, we're going to put a hierarchy around our efforts. It has to start there. We can't do it all. We don't have money for it all. We're going to start there. So that became a choice. And we leaned in and, and frankly asked for their help. And they came into our business. And I can't tell you, Gemma, how many things is, are involved in this from understanding how many times you ship things uh, or sub ingredients to create the product. Um, and then from product creation into warehouse and then from warehouse into into the client and then from the client into the waste streams. And there are a tremendous amount of modeling that goes into that. And so we sort of learned how to measure our footprint with them and with their help and then, you know, uh, buy the offsets and then set very clear goals for how are we going to reduce that footprint in, in the coming years. And that's typically been by improving our packaging or ingredient footprint. Um, so, I feel like climate was one. Um, the second thing we did was we were like, okay, you know, for every single um, for every single sale we make, we want to just simply just state we're going to give one percent back. And we've done a lot of work with um, wildlife organizations, and we've done a lot of work with One Tree Planted since then um, to really double click on things that are particularly impacted by our climate crisis. And we've donated a tremendous amount of money. So that to me is sort of the giving piece. Um, and then the third thing, which is incredibly difficult, is this idea of packaging choices, recyclability, um, the loop that comes with that. And I think we're still learning here. We're really proud of, 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 of the work we've done from you know, being in PCR plastic tubes to being in vegetable waste and sugarcane bottles to understanding the difference on where we have permission to do glass from a weight perspective versus where we can't. And we, we, we've, we work very hard in this area. Um, but I think I'll tell you an example of something that was so humiliating to me and it's such a good lesson. I don't know if humiliating, enlightening was a good thing. But it was like, wow. Um, last year, we partnered with How to Recycle um, to verify our recycling claims. And I had this aha moment um, where it was like, wait a minute, I'm looking at all these sheets, you know, material sheets from my vendors. And it's like 100% recyclable, 100% recyclable, 100% recyclable. And then I flipped over. And, you know, how to recycle is backed by the sustainable packaging correlation in the United States and Canada. And it's like, well, what, what can the waste streams actually recycle today? So what is factually being recycled? And how are we not fucking up our waste streams? Sorry for the bad word. But how are we not messing up our waste streams by putting things into the recycling bin that shouldn't be there? And I remember this, we have this most remarkable young woman that works on our team, Rafaela. Raphael and I were inputting one late night, inputting all of our, you know, information about our products in, and we got a note back that our aluminum tube was not recyclable in the United States. And today we own that, right? It's a good example of owning your footprint. Um, so it doesn't get recycled in the United States. So then by nature of that, you, you know, that's a perfect example of, recognizing that yes for sure aluminum is a recyclable material but once there's goop in it and it has a plastic can and it's no longer a or plastic cap and it's no longer a you know a can of liquid it's being tossed aside started to shed light to wait a minute so what can we do in tubes and what can we move out of tubes and how do we think about that these are the kind of things that um, we like to do in our company, right? That's like owning your footprint and being like, actually, it's not recyclable, not even if you wash it, um, because it isn't being recycled. Um, and so we immediately, upon learning that, we were like, okay, we got to get a hold of TerraCycle and 
And in a couple of weeks here, we'll launch our partnership with them again in a verified way, not in a ship stuff to us and we'll go and drop it off, but instead setting up a program and spending the resources, pulling resources out of something else and putting resources into that to say, we need to have that sort of solution. Um, And you know, Gemma, there are many other things to this, but I think what I wanted to share with you is I feel like um, we're in business, right? We're in business to make a positive environmental impact. And we are so humbled um, by what we learn and, and at every step because, and really, I think this nuance of saying, you know what, we are not sustainable. Let's just get that out and get crisp on that. Now, what can we do to minimize our footprint together? Sort of became a a phenomenal shift in the way we think about everything, um, particularly on the product side in our business. So that's where we're at right now. There's so much more to be done. I don't think this work will ever be done. Just amazing. You have been a part of the beauty industry for about 20 years now. Over the last, let's say, five to ten years, what have been some of the biggest changes that you have seen within the beauty industry? Gosh, I feel like if you think about um, if you think about the beauty industry, I feel like you, you know, I always try to think about, okay, so where do we all play, right? So we play in product categories, we play in distribution channels, we play in, um, we play in, in markets of geographies around the world. And so I think it's all changed. I think it's one of the most dynamic consumer good uh, industries, Um I think where I would say that it's changed the most is in product and in distribution. Um, And so for me, I feel that um, the speed by which new brands are launching, coming into the space and also disappearing Mm. has increased drastically. And to me, that's a sign that, you know, A, it's harder to create something that's sticky uh, and that has substance. but I think it's also a testament to how the consumer today is uh, willing to try, explore, shop everywhere, um, and just jump around a bit more um, than maybe they did 15 years ago. Um, so that puts great pressure uh, on a brand to be thoughtful as to why we exist. Um, I think the demands on good product has come into focus. Um, I think some companies are product companies, some product companies are media companies, some products are trend companies. But what is not changed and what's a denominator for what needs to be true is that the product, you know, has to be better than ever. And the consumer knows more about ingredients, more about efficacy, more about design cues, more about texture, that being humble enough to be able to to grasp that and understand that is 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 really important. So the demand on a good product has gone up. Um, I think another thing that's changed is, you know, some years back we were, right, full, fully shopping in store. Then we sort of, you know, went into this digital, digital, digital. And, and now I think we're landing where it will stay, which is this idea of Omni and this sort of really phenomenal interplay between what you buy and learn digitally versus what you buy and learn in store um, or in a pop-up or wherever else you interact with brands. The sort of um, very dynamic system for where we shop and how we shop is going to continue to evolve. But it's, I think, crystallizing for me that, you know, stores are not going to go away. They might evolve in the way that they are expressed, but they are gonna, they're going to really matter. Um, so I think if you ask me top three things, I think it's an insane consumer that's insanely educated, that puts tremendous pressure uh, on brands to do better, um, which is wonderful um, in all aspects, from performance and product to footprint to all of the things we've discussed. That's one. Number two, just the interplay between digital and, in sto- uh, and, and physical. 
I think is, is another that's new that we have to master. And then I just think this influx of brands, right? Um, There's so many new brands. Um, it sort of changes an industry when there's that many coming in and that many leaving. And you, you, you sort of have to, you have to hold on and you have to get really clear on why you deserve to exist. I think those are the three things for me. And what changes do you think we can expect to see over the coming few years? Well, you know, I feel like I feel the category we're in, right, is one that I think is just beginning. It's in its infancy um, with, with, with body. Um, I think one thing we're going to see is that um, everything is going to get beautified. And what I mean by that is from um, Vaseline to body care, to home care, to all aspects of the objects that we surround ourselves with are, are going to matter more to us. Um, and we're going to lean into that as, as people and, and be very choiceful about everything we buy. I think we're going to see just more and more and more of that. Um, I think body care that, 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 that we're in is going to be one of the next frontiers, uh, which is very exciting. We hope that, that many folks will join us in this category. Um, I do think that, I do think, you know, something that sits with me a lot and I'm on this wonderful, um, with this wonderful group of beauty brands that I'm sort of, we're talking a lot about this concept of responsibility and sustainability. I do think that will become what clean is, um, become a given, um, that we all have to simply do better. Um, I just hope it becomes about the right dialogues, right, and not a washed out marketing term. Um, but I do think it's coming into focus and it's coming and it's here to stay. And that's really good. Um, that's really important. So I think those are those are some of the things for me. And then I think, you know, a big umbrella around all of this is humanity, inclusivity, um, being good to one another. I hope we're going into a time of grace. Not that we're not in one, but I think those mm. things are, are sticking in a wonderful, wonderful way. I hope so. My final question. Yes. What- what is next for Necessaire? Oh, wow. Uh, gosh, what's next for Necessaire? Well, one big thing is that we're launching with Mega in a few days, right? Mm-hmm. So wink, wink. Uh, that's huge for us. It's really huge for us because, you know, the next frontier for us is to continue our effort in body, begin our journey into hair and scalp, Um and then start to get the product into more people's hands. Um, and the way we're doing that is with, you know, in Australia, right, with, with, with Mega, we're finding partners that we believe can help us bring our mission and bring our product to, to people that will really value it. And so we're launching the brand in Australia. We're launching, currently launching the brand in the UK. These are two massive milestones for mm-hmm. us. Um, and so I think about going from one category to two, right? Going from one or two markets to four with, with Australia and the UK. Um, and then I do think, you know, we've been very selective with distribution. Um, and we are in, in, we're partnered with very few retailers. Um, and I think there for us, it's more about going deep um, and creating deep relationships and, and expand the brand with the retailers we do have. Um, and build really meaningful relationships. So that's sort of what's next for us, growing the team, launching more products, um, and making real impact with the business. I think that's what's next for us. That was Randy Christensen, co-founder and CEO of Necessaire, which you can find on Instagram at Necessaire. To read this interview, you can visit glowjournal.com And for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at jemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share 
so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me.